Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Difference Maker, and it is part of the BCC Next Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Okay, now next also refers to this series, and we're in the last of the series. Number one, and these are the, these are the what we want to focus on as a church. Number one is that you would know God. Nothing is more important than knowing God. If that's the only step we took, that would be the best step we could ever take. All the other steps don't matter if the first step, Jesus came to this earth. The number one reason that Jesus came to this earth is so you and I could know God. And so that's what we want to do as a church. We want to help people to know God. And I want to help we want to help people know God better who already know God. The second step is to find freedom. Find freedom from our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. You're not just here to serve this church. Yes, that's part of the reason God brought you here. Most likely is to serve this church. We're supposed to serve the church. We're supposed to serve the community. But first of all, most important is that you find freedom in your life, emotional, freedom from addiction, freedom from fear, freedom from the things that keep you from staying in a loving relationship with God and things that, will, will, that are, are destructive to your life, to your family, and to your friends. The third step, the next step, is discovering your purpose. Um, Frederick Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear any how. And God gives us a purpose, and God lets us know that you have a reason for being on this earth, and we want to help you as a church to discover your reason. The, the fourth step we're going to t- talk about today is becoming a difference maker. You're put on this earth to have a purpose and make a difference. It's interesting how these four steps follow the death, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit by Christ. Number one, Jesus went to the cross. That makes us able to know God because he dealt with the sin problem. The Bible says our sins have hidden us from God, right? Our sins have hidden us from God. So Jesus goes to the cross and he deals with the sin issue so we can know God. And then he goes, he faces death And the author of death is Satan. He faces him. And it's in that that action that he accomplishes our freedom from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Because he deals with the dark forces that bind us and blind us. And then he... The third thing is he ascends to the Father. And what does he do at the right hand of the Father? The Bible says he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So he is helping us discover our purpose. That's what he's doing right now by the right hand of God. He's, he's, he, is, he is helping you to know the will of God for your life. And then the fourth thing is he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers you and equips you 
to make a difference in the lives of other people. So we want to complete the fourth step today. Um, Jesus, in our text we're going to read, gives us two unshakable principles that a solid life is built on. A solid, difference-making life. This offer for this solid life is called an eternal life. Every one of us in this room are either living an eternal life or a temp- temporary life. We're going to read in, in a few seconds about a young man, a young attorney. He wasn't a, he wasn't a lawyer like we have today who litigates cases necessarily, but he, he interpreted the law of Moses. And this young man, this probably a millennial, comes and asks Jesus, what must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And Jesus dis- didn't give him an answer that prepared him to die. That's what most people think when you say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They're thinking you're giving them an answer to, to, that will prepare them to die. But Jesus didn't give him an answer that prepared him to die. Jesus gave him an answer that prepared him to live in the world. Jesus gave him an answer that gave him a worldview that prepared him to live powerfully and effectively and lovingly in a very dangerous, chaotic world. Christ gave him a way to live eternal life. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law came to, to, to stood up to test Jesus. I'll get that out in a minute. <clears throat> what must I do? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> Excuse me. What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him. And went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Just to put this in context today, the Levite and the the high priest were both servants at the temple. So they they were on their way to work, and this guy, they see this guy on the side of the road. But a a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, you are made and I are made, we're made for something more than just being a consumer. There's nothing wrong with being a consumer. We're all naturally consumers. We start out this life that we live being a canal that makes demands on one end and takes no responsibility on the other. We are born to be consumers. Nothing wrong with being a consumer. But modernity 
has created a culture of consum consumption being an end in itself. Notice the rich young ruler did not say, Oh God, oh, oh teacher, how can I live a temporary life? How can I have a good weekend? How can I have eternal life? How can I inherit eternal life? Consumerism puts us in the position of just trying to have a good weekend. And that doesn't lead to good things. God has something much bigger for you than a rockin' good time weekend. God has something so much more exciting for you and so much more meaningful for you and something that will change the world. I mean, literally, this principle is what's going to change the world. The principle of compassion, the principle of God working through humanity God was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold the glory of the only begotten Son. So how can I have a solid life? There's a two-part answer that he gives that young lawyer. The young lawyer actually gave it to Christ, actually. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, um, this, this two-part answer here, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, we, we, we love God with our, the sacrifice of our lips, which we've been doing this morning in this service, and we love God with a life of, that's holy and obedient to him. That's how we love God. So we find the rich young ruler didn't have any problem with that one. Some people we might preach this text to might have problems with that one today, but he didn't have a problem with that one. The second thing he says is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, it means you serve him and put, your, put the people that are in proximity to you, you put them before yourself and you serve them and you meet their needs. Now, see, Jesus understood. So, he gives us, so the rich young ruler gives this two-part answer, which Jesus affirms it. And it affirms that answers to questions have, as a general rule, uh, logic says they require more than one necessary condition to explain the, the, them, you know? It, it might be like, it's like, uh, it's like uh, uh, if you're 18 years old, you can vote, right? So, the, so you might say, the condition for voting is you're 18. That's like saying, uh, someone would say, if you, if you love God and you confess Jesus is your Savior, you, you're going to inherit eternal life, period. Well, no, Jesus says, See, these things can have more than one condition. So, so the, 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 I may be uh, true, technically 18 years old, you can vote, but you could be a 30-year-old felon and you couldn't vote because there's more conditions. Than just so, so Jesus says this is a big picture thing. This is a big picture thing. And if you, that it, I believe Jesus, what, what Jesus really was saying to us, if I really love God and, and I love God properly, and my worldview becomes a, a, a worldview of giving my life to God, it will be, uh, I will not be able to not love my neighbor. It's an outflow of loving God. It, amen? It, it's not a matter of working for my salvation. It's not a matter of, oh, i got to do good deeds in order to be saved. And you put it in that, that kind of evangelical context that we all kind of work in sometimes in that matrix that we, most of us think in. It's about, it's about the whole, the big picture. 
It's about Jesus is giving us the big picture. So, so I want to talk about difference making today. I'm going to talk about the difference maker. There was one man in the story that was a difference maker, and the other people were not. Difference making, I'm going to define it this way. Difference making is giving healing and life to what is unrighteously hurting and unnecessarily dying. Giving, giving life to what is unrighteously hurting and n- unnecessarily dying. See, sometimes your view is not as it should be. Something is out of place. You know that. Some, something is hurting. It's something in your view, I meant to say, is out of place. And something is not as it should be. There's a crisis. There's something that needs to be solved. Someone load need, someone's load needs to be lightened. I propose to you that being a positive difference maker is what you crave at the deepest part of your soul. And what will give meaning to your life and will make life worth suffering for. If you understand this. What, here's what's confusing to us. And here's, what, here's where the consumer and us and, and the, the heart and soul of us that God created it come, into, come into conflict. You know that your, your vital organs and your blood supply craves things most of the time, that your taste buds don't. Your taste buds crave things that your vital organs and your blood supply don't crave. You know? You ever eat an amazing dessert and 45 minutes later you feel terrible? Because your stomach didn't want what your taste buds wanted. And, and, and you can spend a lifetime giving you, your body what your taste buds want. And uh, you will grow as a person, I'm telling you. You will grow. <laughs> you, will, you will really grow. Your flesh and your spirit. That's why the Bible says the carnal man. The carnal man, there's enmity against God. We, we must... We must, and I don't mean this to chide you, and I, I really, really, really don't mean it's not a finger wagging type of sermon. It's not, it's, at least it's not my heart, and I hope I don't come across that way. I know I can sometimes. I can come across as finger wagging, you better straighten up, you know, kind of thing. No, I'm saying, I'm saying that if in, deep within you, there's something you desire and you crave, you want to be significant. You want your life to matter. That's what you really want, and that's what's really going to satisfy you at the deepest level of your life. When you wake up someday and you realize you have impacted people's lives, that people are better off because you were in the world, that's what's going to make you satisfied. And, and you, you've heard all the illustrations about people say, I don't, you know, people at the end of their life, they, they don't wish they'd have had more money or spend more time at the office. And I know that's become kind of cliche-ish, but it's really true. Thanks. I want to thank uh, Mike Sutton for directing my attention to David Brooks' book, The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life. And here's what, one of the quotes from that book. And, and, and the premise of the book is that we have this one mountain we climb in, 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 in our life, and he talks autobiographically. We, we climb this mountain of, of success where we want the corner office and we want money and we want all this stuff and notoriety. And we get to the top of that mountain, then we see there's another mountain over there. And that other mountain is about loving others, building relationships, and making a difference. 
That's the other mountain that the book's about. And he says this, What most people seek in life is not happiness, but an intensity that reaches into the core. We want to be involved in some important pursuit that involves hardship and is worthy of that hardship. I like an Augustine quote um, that, 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 that deals with this too. Where there's humility, there's majesty. Where there's weakness, there's might. Where there's death, there's life. If you want to get these things, don't disdain them. George Bernard Shaw, famous quote that I've used for years. I love this quote. Long the quote, but it's good. This is, this is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish cloud of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to make you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live it, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got a hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations. Hank Marks, who I believe you're here this morning, Hank, told me a story of his friend in Los Angeles whose son owned a film studio, was a film studio executive, 30 years old, he passed away. His name is Justin Marin Smith, and one of the things they said at the funeral, one of the people who spoke got up and said, is that Justin... Moran Smith would say regularly to people around him, be necessary. That's what this sermon's about this morning. Be necessary. The joy of life is when I'm necessary. And we become necessary when we become the difference maker. Let's look at the difference maker this morning. The difference maker wasn't blind to the familiar The road from Jerusalem to Jericho in the time of Jesus was notorious for its dangers, its difficulties, and people getting robbed. It was known as the way of blood. So we can be very judgmental of the Levite and Pharisee, but we need to identify with them probably better than we do. Because when things become common, we become blind and deaf to them. i got to admit that Yesterday, or was it the day before, when the news came that another person had gone into a place and murdered 12 people, innocent people. I got to be honest, I didn't register very much emotion in my heart. I didn't hardly think about it. I didn't go, I didn't go get on the internet and try to find out all about it like I, like I did the first time. Because it's become common. Now, you and me, if, if we saw a, a, a bloody person on the side of the road, it would get our attention because that's not common around here. But it was common there. We tend to become blind to that which we see too often. You know, let, let me bring it home to you. And, and again, I, again, I'm not wagging my finger at you because I know, I know you're going to, you know, I, I really trust you as a church. I really trust you. I, I really do. I've found through the years, I can come to you as a congregation and talk to you about needs and you respond. 
So the only reason I bring things up like this is just to remind you, because I know what happens to all of us. When we're in the middle of something, we, we can, you know, we, that Levite and that, that, that other guy, you know, the, the, the high priest, they, we would never be like them, but we're all, we are like them. I'm like them. We're all like them. And I just, I just found out this week that I have a children's church worker who hasn't been in church for a year. Because we don't have enough volunteers in children's church. Now that's in our house. That's right in this house. That's right in this place. This is your kids. But we become blind to that which we're right in the middle of. We become blind to that which is familiar. We have to hear Christ's words. We have to, we have to get fresh eyes to see the harvest field. In fact, Jesus said, look at the harvest field. It's white, already to harvest. Because he knew he knew that we had to be told to look. You know how you do with a little kid? You go, look. And when they get upset about something, you distract them by saying, look, there's a, an elephant in the yard. And they look, you know? The, the term turn a blind eye came from uh, Admiral Horatio Nelson. And he actually had a blind eye, Horatio Nelson did. He was fighting in a battle. It was called the Battle of Copenhagen. And they were in this uh, naval battle, and the way they would signal to one another, they didn't have electronics in those days, of course. This is in uh, 1801. They, they, they had uh, flags. They would use flags. And uh, uh, the, the, the commander, the overall commander, was a guy named Hyde Parker, and Hyde Parker was wanting Nelson to stop advancing. But a Nelson didn't want to stop advancing, so he began to wave the flags that would say, stop advancing. And, uh, and, and, and uh, Admiral Nelson put the... Put the um, uh, telescope or whatever they call that thing that he would use, he put that up to his blind eye. <laughs> and he, he said, here's what he said, his exact quote was, I have a right to be blind sometimes. <laughs> I really do not see the signal. <laughs> That's what happens to us. We tend to be blind to that which we know we can't delegate. You know, we would, you know one of the reasons we would respond to a bloody guy on the side of the road? Because we have a cell phone. 911. There's a bloody guy on the side of the road. And we would get in our car and leave. And the EMTs would come and take care of it. And we have these antiseptic conditions where we take care of bloody things. We don't deal with blood. I don't do bloody things. Right? I call... The professionals who do bloody, who get their hands dirty, right? But when you can't delay, I, I, I'm, I'm good at it, man. When I can, when, when, the, when the sink full of dishes is my responsibility, I can block it out and go do what I wanted to do. But if I had a, a full-time housekeeper... I'd be like, get over here right now. Hey, hey, wash those dishes. We tend to be blind to that which we know we can't delegate. We, we're healed of our blindness when we know the eternal compensating. Now, these are important words. I, I thought for like for five minutes to think of these words. <laughs> the, these are, our blindness is healed when we, when we know and believe we have an eternal, compensating, and multiplying God. 
I have a God that will reward me. He's a rewarding God. He's a compensating God. If I will go and deal with that thing that's dirty, that's going to interrupt my schedule, that's going to wreck my day, but it represents human need and human problems that I can solve, I have a God who's going to reward me and compensate me for, for taking my time to do that. That is, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when I seek the poor and the needy, and I seek the broken, even the rich, needy, I don't care. When I seek them out, I'm seeking God because God is near to the brokenhearted. Amen? Amen? We're healed of our blindness when we know this, this eternal, compensating, multiplying God. Now, what I mean by multiplying, because here's one reason they wouldn't stop, I think. I, 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 I'm assuming one reason they didn't stop is they probably said to themselves, among other things, what good's it going to do? What good's it going to do to go help one person when there's so many, every day I come by here, there's a bloody person. When you minister, you are, first of all, you're saving souls from eternal death, and you're putting into motion... God's eternal laws of what, I don't know what else to call it, but multiplicity. You're putting into motion God's eternal laws of multiplicity. Uh, uh, Christy mentioned to me the other day a story that I wasn't really aware of, of a guy named John Howland. Have you ever heard of John Howland? If you go to Plymouth, he's buried in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Anybody know the story of John Howland? You know the story. He was on the Mayflower. He fell overboard with a Mayflower. Someone threw John Howland a rope. And he eventually, so he saved his life, he eventually married a woman named Elizabeth Tilly, and they had 10 children and 80 grandchildren. Now here's, the, now he, he, John Howland was never famous. And he never was a famous anything. But somebody saved his life, got him back on the Mayflower. He got to Plymouth, and he built a life, and he married this lady, and they had these kids, and they had these grandkids. Today, there are two million descendants of John Howland in America, including in his descendants are Franklin Roosevelt, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Sarah Palin, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Alec Baldwin, Humphrey Bogart, Christopher Lloyd, Joseph Smith, and Dr. Benjamin Spock. That guy that threw that rope to John Howland had no idea. He had no idea what he was doing. And when you find, maybe in this auditorium, I, I try to tell you, start your ministry right here. You want to have a great ministry? Start right here. Start as soon as the service is over. That person that you may connect with, that person who may have no one else in their life, they may have come to church today hoping that someone would care about them, that person, you have no idea how God can multiply your seed. You have no idea. You have no idea how far-reaching everything you do. And I, I'm, we're so blessed to have a whole lot of people around here who think like that. We're so blessed to have a lot of people here in, the, here in the church and in Compassion New England who minister every day to people who treat everybody as though they are the most important person on the earth because they just might be. 
I said, we treat them like they're the most important person on the earth because they just might be. The difference maker wasn't bound by order and obligation. Galatians 16, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Why did Paul remind us to do good to all people? Well, he knew that we would narrowly define neighbor and limit our difference-making to our group, our company, our fellow voting church members, our families. The Levite and the priest had a lot of order in their life. They had a lot of obligations. And they let the order and obligation... For one thing... If they touched a dead body, they wouldn't be able to go to work that day. Because they'd have to have a period of cleansing from touching a dead body. So this was really going to disrupt their life if this guy died on them. Right? And they had obligations. They had, they had priorities in their life. David Brooks said, again, living life in a pragmatic, utilitarian manner turns you into a, a utilitarian pragmatist. And you, those probably aren't words you use every day, so look them up. The how do I succeed questions quickly ellipse the why am I doing this questions. Your conversation consists mostly of descriptions of how busy you are. Suddenly you're a chilly mortal going into hyper people-pleasing mode anytime you're around your boss. You spend much of your time mentor shopping, trying to find some successful older person who will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. What if you just stopped and became available to the person that you can make a difference for. See, the different maker doesn't let a person, an important project, or a valuable program die in the ditch because they have too many other obligations. They don't do it. You don't step over something that's dying when you're a difference maker. I don't care if it's a great program that you know, maybe a program in the community or a program in this church, and it's dying, you will step in and make a difference. You will step in and make a difference. And the person who is dying and the person who is hurting. I was so, I was so thrilled the other day that someone in this uh, auditorium, I don't know if he, he's here this morning, but someone in this auditorium who had some life change in their life and it was observable to people who watched. He told me the other day when I took him out for coffee, he said seven people in this church came over and gave me their phone number and said, call me. I want you to know that. I want to applaud you for that. All right, let me applaud you for that. That is, what, that is what we mean by not letting your previous obligations, your obligations to your friends, your family, dominate your life. But saying, you're saying, oh God, interrupt my life. Oh God, interrupt my life. The Levite and the high priest had a temple to get to. They, they had that rule that I talked about. Becoming a dis- difference maker is disruptive. It's obligation. It's disruptive to your ab- obligations. It's risky. We all, we all have temple obligations, by the way. We have a temple. Maybe it's your family is your temple. Maybe your spouse is your temple. Maybe your house is your temple. And you need to take care of your temple, by the way. Maybe it's your job is your temple. Maybe your community organization membership is your temple. All those things need maintenance and need taking care of. You need to show up at your house. The Good Samaritan did not stay with the man forever. He went back home. He went back to run his business. He went back to take care of his kids and all of that. So we're not criticizing that. But we can walk and chew gum. 
I've had people tell me, I can't serve at the church because I've got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my family. I got to be honest with you. I've not seen the people who make that decision produce Christian kids. And if they are even nominal Christians, they don't love and serve the church. Because what their parents model is that you are the gods that we serve, not the God of the world who wants to make everything flourish. God wants to make Milford flourish, Minden flourish. God wants to make Bellingham flourish. God wants to make Hopedale flourish. God wants to make Massachusetts flourish. You, you, do you get that? That Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to give eternal life. Jesus came to make this world alive. His ultimate goal, and he's going to accomplish his goal. He is going to heal this world. He's going to revive this world. He's going to make this world new again. And he's not going to leave you out of it. He's raised you up for this purpose to be his partnership. We rule and reign with Christ. Is that, is that, does that get you excited? You rule and reign with Christ. But ruling and reigning with Christ is not a political statement. Ruling and reigning with Christ is getting in the ditch and healing the man who's been victimized by the injustices of life. Amen? About kids and family. Kids and family are real important. You need to care. But if I don't, if, if my kids don't see me serving others, I have failed them. I ruin them if they become the sun that I orbit around. Or if I become a self-serving success, I've wasted my life. Finally, the eternal difference maker, or, or, or the difference maker, for the difference maker, an eternal life was a shared life. Proverbs eleven twenty four: the world of the generous gets larger and larger. <laughs> The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. God, God is so amazing that he manages somehow to make everything in my life about others while at the same time making it about me. How does he do that? I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't like paradoxes. I don't like living in a paradox in, my, in myself. I mean, in my, in my selfish self. That doesn't work. But when you have a supernatural God, it kind of works. It kind of works when you have a God that when you scatter, when you gather, you scatter. When you, when, when you, when you scatter, you gather. It kind of works when you have a God. When you have a God who, who put his son in a tomb so he could reign on the throne in heaven. Amen? I'm welcoming you to eternal life today. Come on, let's live eternal life. Some of you in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna take care of ourselves, or we're gonna struggle. You know, I I grew up in a culture where everybody struggled. I mean, Wednesday night testimony service was like, you don't know what that is, but 
but it was people standing up saying things like, the devil's been after, and literally they would say this, and I'm not making this up. The devil's been after me all day long, bless his holy name. <laughs> and and then, then, then we got the prosperity gospel that came along, and people quit doing that. In fact, one of the leaders of the prosperity gospel movement pastored my home church. I know you, most of you don't know his name, but it happened to be Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin was pastor of the church that I went to when I, before I was born. So, so I know where that, I know, I know what he was reacting to, man. I know, I know the people that he was saying, these people are living in defeat. They need to know about the authority of the believer because they didn't understand the authority of the believer. And, and so, so, so I understand that whole deal, you know, I understand it, how it works. But God, I love what God is doing today. God is bringing us, God's not upset today, by the way, you know. God's, God got us right where he wants us. The church is getting clarified. We're getting clarified. We're understanding that faith worketh by love. Faith works by love. And God's going to do, a, a, we're going to have the most amazing, I don't know how, what, what this revival is going to look like, but it's going to be good. Amen? What Jesus taught us in many places, including the story of the washing of his disciples' feet, and in many other places, that we pay our debt to God by serving and making a difference in the lives of others. There's no act of serving that's too small. There's no difference making that's too small. That's what I want you to get today. I've created a list of 32 ways you can become, I think, I think we've added a third one in the meeting before the service, 33 ways you can start becoming a difference maker today. And it's right in the app. It's on the home page of the app. You can look at it. There's 32 ways that I'm going to give you suggestions how you can begin to be a difference maker. And, it, it, and also, I want to invite you to check out a, a new website we have called I Want to Help CNE. I want to help cne.com. And in there, the, the, there's going to be like four things you can do to become a difference maker at that, at that website. So go look that up. The, the Bible teaches all of its pages that obedience and positive actions are the seeds that go into our future. That's why, the, you, that's why this is about eternal life, in my opinion. That which leaves your hand never leaves your life. Let's engage in every act of serving. Every act of serving, if you're, taking, if you're inviting a new person to lunch, if you're going to visit the nursing home, if you're just going over to say a kind word to your neighbor today, let's make every act of kindness and every act of service as though we are changing the world. Because you might be saving John Howland from the ocean depths and from drowning, and you might have you might be producing way, and you are producing way more than you think. So, what or who can I see that is bleeding and dying? By the way, by the way, don't just see the down and out, and we want to see the down and out. See the up and out, too. I, I encourage you. you. You know, most people that commit suicide are wealthy. It seems like the highest rates of depressions are among the wealthy. So don't look at a person of seemingly means and, and, uh, and greater economic status 
as though they are not also wounded and bleeding and hurting and needing your assistance. There are people in every strata of life that represent your opportunity to fully experience a solid life, an eternal life that will last beyond the present realities and go into eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying today? I want you to live a life that will last beyond the present realities and go into eternity. This represents your decision to fully follow Christ. See, some of us, there's probably someone in this room who's followed Christ to the cross. And that's good. I'm inviting you to follow him to that place where the Holy Spirit was poured out, where we call the, the Bible calls the upper room, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to empower you to make a difference in the world and the lives of others. I'm inviting you today to go beyond the cross to the place where God gives you the, 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 a church word. This is a church word, anointing. Anointing means approval. Anointing means you're chosen. Anointing means you're it. I want you to go beyond the cross today. Love the cross. I want you to go beyond the ascension. And I want you to go with me to the upper room where we supernaturally get the language for our culture. We supernaturally get the message for our culture. We supernaturally get the word of God and how to deal with our culture through the power of of the supernatural Holy Spirit. And what did, what, did the, what, did the, what did the guy pour into the man's wounds? Oil and wine. He poured in the power of the Holy Spirit into his life. That's what you've got. That's what you've got. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You are, you are vibrating with divine power. Let it out. Talk to people. The, the, the word of faith is near you. Let it out. And it will happen. It will work. And you will be happy and glad you'll say to me someday I, I like the way I look amen <laughs> praise God let's just come uh, I want our prayer partners to come here today and you, anything you need prayer for uh, maybe some of you here need to make a rededication of your life to God we used to talk about that in the old days and we need to talk about it again it just means to come and say God I know I, I know I accepted you as my personal savior but Lord I need to come back to you today and I need to take that next step. I need to dedicate my life to fulfill its purpose and its meaning. And the calling, the calling. You don't just call pastors. Uh, in fact, you call pastors to equip saints for ministry. You don't just call pastors and missionaries and evangelists. But you call every one of us to make a difference in our world. So come and be prayed for today or anything that's going on in your life. Also, please join us in receiving communion. Let's enter into worship and response time.